You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. So one of the dynamics with a new school year, and I've heard this from a number of, of teachers through the years, is, is learning names, right? You have all these students, and it's a high value, obviously, to teachers to know their students and, and to learn names. But it's not just teachers that have to do battle with that. We do, too. I mean, as you and I meet people, we interact with people, nothing honors someone more than, than remembering their name, Right? But you ever had one of those experiences where you meet someone and maybe you've talked to them a number of times and then you see them again in maybe a different context and you can't remember their name? That ever happened to you? Some of you are like every Sunday at church, right? But I'm feeling yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that happens to me too. Names are important to me and I still have those times. Well, I'll never forget this one time some years ago here at Grace. It was a Sunday morning, not unlike this one, when um, this gentleman walked in the door and I knew I recognized him. And that's not uncommon. That happens to me often. But I, I knew I should know him and I should know his name. He's about 6'2", 200, rocked up. I mean, this dude was clearly an athlete or former athlete. And he walked in and I thought, where do I know that guy? And this, this was the guy who was, who was sitting in the back of the auditorium here. Do you... Do you know this guy? Okay, I think there's maybe two 49er fans here, so, and that's okay. Okay, and there they are, Sean and one other person, so. Um, yeah, this is Jerry Rice, and he played in the 80s and 90s, won three Super Bowls. He's showing off his rings there, and he was a Super Bowl MVP. Holds a number of Super Bowl records that may stand forever, we'll see. Holds some regular season records that may stand forever. We'll see. He came through our doors because he's a relative of someone who calls Grace home. I don't remember who. doesn't matter. But he came in, and I knew I should have recognized him, and I didn't. And it was after the fact I realized, hey, that was, that was Jerry Rice back there. Can you sign my Bible, Jerry? You know, <laughs> I mean, come on. But, you know, didn't quite work out that way. So, so all that being said, I thought, you know, that, that is in some ways a picture of the story we enter into today in God's, in God's word. If you haven't been with us, we're in John chapter 18. We're going to start, start into John chapter 19 in that gospel. And we looked at last week where Jesus is arrested and he begins this trial process, and it's, it's just, it's a kangaroo court. It's so ridiculous. Everything about it is wrong. There are no charges. The charges that are being thrown out there are trumped up. It's just, it's just ludicrous, really, because there's an agenda behind what's happening. There's an agenda to shut Jesus up and really to, to kill him, to take his life. But all that being said, he goes through these six trials, actually. Three we saw last week, and John kind of condenses two of them, but it was a trial before Annas, the former high priest, the trial before Caiaphas, the current high priest, and then a trial before the Sanhedrin, and John doesn't really talk about that. And then it transitions to the three um, judicial trials, the three um, non-religious trials that he has. He stands before Pilate. And then he is sent to Herod, and John doesn't talk about that in his gospel. And then he stands before Pilate again. And in this gospel, John compresses the two trials of Pilate into one. So six trials that Jesus goes through. Pilate sees him twice. In fact, Pilate has more dialogue and more interaction with him than, than anyone else in this whole process. 
as John lays it out for us. And he will talk to Jesus and he will look him in the face. Certainly he's heard about him, but he won't recognize him for who he is. And what we see really happening in this story are two dynamics. One, there's a tragedy that's unfolding. And it is, it is a tragic death to those on the outside looking in at Jesus' life. I mean, things are so unjust and so wrong. And he's going to be unfairly accused and he's going to die a horrible death. And it's, it's a tragedy on the surface. But there's a greater tragedy lurking within this story. And it's the tragedy of those who will not recognize Jesus for who he is. That's the first layer. The second layer is even though Jesus is, Jesus is the one on trial, who truly is on trial in this story? Because it's not just Jesus. And that's where we're going to go this morning. So these are the players in this story. We have the high priests who are demanding Jesus' death, and we'll see this here in just a minute. We have the crowd, who are basically following the rest of the crowd. They're, they're following the herd, and the herd is largely following the religious leaders. And then we have Barabbas. He will enter the story, and we're going to end our time focusing more on how could he be a part of the story and why does it matter. But he enters in. You'll see him appear. But the, the principal person we'll see in this story and in this trial is Pilate. And some things to know about Pilate, he was the Roman governor. He had been appointed by the emperor, Tiberius. It was a political favor that had been done for him. And so it was in his best interest to do everything possible to do whatever Tiberius wanted. And what Tiberius wanted was relatively straightforward. He wanted peace, he wanted order, and he wanted to make money. And so with those things in place, Pilate's job was to make sure those things happened. During this time... As this story is taking place, it's the Passover. The population of Jerusalem was roughly around 50,000 at this point in history, and it would quadruple to 200,000 with all the pilgrims who'd come into the city. You literally had people sleeping in tents outside the city because there was no room for them. There was this messianic fervor that we know had taken root in the first century, there were multiple false messiahs that appeared on the scene, and there was this expectation that Messiah would come and through revolution would, would free the people. And so there was always this tension that was just bubbling under the surface for any of the festivals during this time that gathered in Jerusalem. There was always this threat that a riot could break out, and oftentimes it did. And so what Pilate would do is he deliberately moved his, his um, headquarters from Caesarea Mar Maritimus, which is on the coast and it's beautiful to Jerusalem which isn't quite so beautiful and not on the coast and he positioned himself there and gathered more soldiers to be there with him because he was there to put down any riots or any trouble that would happen during the festival and there was this hate-hate relationship between the Jews and Pilate he saw them as rabble-rousers trouble when he could placate them, he did. But when he needed to put them down and to, and to crush any riot or revolt, he did so brutally. He was known for his atrocities. He was someone who you feared. He had absolute power and authority. If you appeared before Pilate, your life truly was in your hands. He could, he could take your life. And so now this is the setting that we now enter this story as we look at what happens here. So... The Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, to Pilate. 
By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleansliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, what charges are you bringing against this man? And we saw this last week as we looked at those earlier trials. There had to be evidence. There had to be witnesses in order for someone to be tried, not just in the Jewish judicial system, but also in the Roman judicial system. And this is how they respond. Well, if he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. That word for criminal can also be translated evildoer or evil. If he were not evil, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Just, just take our word, Pilate. He's a bad guy and he, he needs to die. But, but Pilate's not having it. He sees right through it. And he says, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. And this took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. And what they said there was true. They could not execute someone. That's why they're coming to Pilate, is to get him to do their dirty work. And this from the outside looking in, looks like an absolute disaster for Jesus' disciples who have now scattered and fled for their lives, for Jesus supposedly bringing the kingdom of God, and this is, this is how he does it. And yet John puts this statement in there that is so important because it takes us back to something Jesus said earlier in this gospel. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. So what did Jesus say about the kind of death he was going to die? We jump back to John chapter 12, and it says this. This is Jesus speaking. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. He's talking about Satan. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. Really? Jesus' disciples are scattered. His own people are calling for his execution. And now he stands on trial before a man who truly can execute him. At a word, he can end his life. And this is God's plan? Yeah, it is. Now, some of you who were here last week are saying, hey, wait a minute, that was the first point last week. Yeah, by design. We're looking at it again. Because I need to hear this, so I figure you need to hear this over and over again, that sometimes when our life is falling apart, sometimes when it looks like things are absolutely, unspeakably, incredibly difficult to understand, how can, be, how can God be at work in this? How can God somehow be bringing good out of this? It, it's awful. I don't see it. God is always working his divine rescue plan. Then and now. And we need to be reminded of that. Gosh, I was talking with some of you prior to the service. You're up against some incredibly hard things. This person is about to lose a loved one. This person is waiting for a, a news from a doctor and, and, or a medical test, and they're, they're afraid, and understandably so. They don't know what they're going to hear. And on it goes. 
And we have to remind ourselves, we have to remember when we open our apps and we go to whatever that news feed that we're reading is, and it's just all bad news. And our city, our world, our country is unraveling and, you know, all this stuff is going on and we can't believe it. We have to remember God is always working his divine rescue plan. He's always at work, even when we can't see it, even when it doesn't feel like it. And God is working his plan here. And the text goes on to say this, Pilate then went back inside, back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And the way this is written, we know there's some tone to this. Because that you in the original language is overemphasized with how this is written. So basically what, what Pilate is saying here is you, you're the king of the Jews. It's demeaning and condescending and, and mocking. And really the meta message here is, are you a threat to me? You do know I am the absolute power here. There are no other kings in this region but, but me. So are you a threat to me? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked? Or did others talk to you about me? What an interesting response from Jesus. And how does Pilate respond? Am I a Jew? Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you, you have done? Pilate is instantly offended by Jesus' question. Could it be that Jesus hit a button there, hit a nerve with that question? And I, I think he did. What, what's behind that question? I think it's because Jesus is always looking for faith. Did you come up with that yourself or did someone tell you about me? And the reality is, for you and me or anyone, it's, it's really not a question of if you have faith, it's a question of where your faith is. So, so let's, do, let's do business with that for a minute. Where is your faith? Where is my faith and trust this morning? Is it with what's in your bank account? Your marriage? Your health? Your friendships? Your job? What place or priority importance do those things have in your life and mine? Of course they're important. Of, of course they matter. But how much do they matter? And, and what are we looking to those things for? Or success with however you and I define that. How important is that to us? Or what others say. What others are saying about you and to you on social. You know, on and on we could go, but the reality is we always have to test our hearts and ask the question of faith. Where is my faith? Where am I placing my faith? What is the object of my faith? Which takes us back to our story here. So Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world in answer to Pilate's question. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. So Jesus declares that he's bringing a kingdom and it's not a kingdom that's going to come through political means. And so here's Pilate, assumably, again, the message behind the message saying, well, then you probably aren't a threat to me. You're a religious nut and we can work with that. 
And Jesus goes on to say this. You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. And as I read this earlier this week and was just marinating in it and thinking about it, I thought, you know, that is one of the foundational, if not the questions of our culture today, is it not? Can you hear it? Can you hear it in our media? Can you hear it in our cultural dialogue? What is truth? Well, truth is whatever I decide it is. And whatever you decide it is. It, this is about my truth or about your truth. That really, at the end of the day, what we're saying with that is that it's, it's what feels right to me. My friends, that is not a great litmus test for truth. In fact, that's how we got to the broken place we are in the first place. This is a historic problem. It goes all the way back to creation, to Adam and Eve, when they decided to define truth for themselves and not follow God's truth, but to figure out what their own truth was and then act on it. And so they eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and sin and death and disease and brokenness enters the world and we're still picking up the pieces today. So how well does that work for you and I to be the arbiters of truth? For you and I to determine what's true and what's, what's not? Because we've bought into this lie, and it's a lie straight from hell, straight from the evil one, that truth is relative. Truth is whatever you and I decide it to be. That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. That's another voice. And at the end of the day, when I begin to live life based on my truth, then life ultimately comes all about me. And that breeds selfishness and really sinfulness. And so Pilate responds like so many people do. Well, what is truth? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reality is, is that he isn't a way. He isn't a life. He isn't a truth. He's the way, the life, the truth. And Pilate doesn't see it. He doesn't recognize the face of God. He doesn't listen to the voice of God. And he doesn't discern the will of God. How about you? Do you recognize Jesus for who he is? Because most of the people in this narrative don't. Pilate goes on to say, well, what is truth? And we looked at that. But then he says this. He went out to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Barabbas was a terrorist, an insurrectionist. He was truly a threat to the Roman Empire, he and those who he allied with. If anyone deserved execution and crucifixion, it was, it was him. But again, we put this question out there before we dove into this. Who's really on trial here? 
is, is it just Jesus? Or have the tables been turned? Do you hear Pilate's wheels spinning with all this, trying to figure out the identity of who Jesus really is? I would submit to you who's really on trial here, and this is one of the many ironies swimming around in this story, is Pilate. Everyone's watching. And you're going to see now, as we read through the rest of this passage, he's going to begin to get desperate. And the situation's going to become dire. Because now he's caught. He's trying to keep the peace and placate the Jewish leadership. But he's trying to figure out for himself who Jesus is. And he's pretty sure now that Jesus is innocent. So look at what happens from here. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And I've never really looked at it through this lens before, but I was challenged with what we just read there, that Pilate is still trying to placate the Jewish leadership. He could have had Jesus killed on the spot, but maybe if he has him flogged and beaten, that will, that will appease things. That will appease them. They'll, they'll be okay with that. And he again declares Jesus to be innocent, and he declares Jesus to be innocent three times throughout this dialogue. So Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, here's the man. And as soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him, which he knows they cannot do. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And he went back inside the palace where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus, do you know who you're dealing with here? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. And from then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar because they know how politically precarious Pilate's position is. And so now they're going for the jugular with this with him. And when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here's your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And finally, Pilate handed them over to be crucified. Now, one of the many ironies in this, the Jewish leaders have no king but Caesar? Seriously? Who do the Jewish leaders and Jewish people hate because their life is so awful, they're so oppressed, they're constantly subjugated, taken advantage of, wronged, demeaned, devalued, treated like dirt? Who is that? It's the Romans. And who leads the Romans? 
Caesar. So that is the Jewish leader's new king, is Caesar? Seriously? It's It's unbelievable. So let's look at the players in the story once again. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Jewish leaders, they so hate Jesus, they're so determined and dedicated to shutting him up that they want to kill him. Do you... Ever want to shut Jesus up with what you hear, with what he says, with what his word speaks into your life? You ever felt like that? You've been offended at all in the last couple weeks with the things we've talked about, the truth that we've proclaimed from God's word? I bet some of you have. Because someone wise once said, I don't know who it was, but someone wise once said, you know you've heard from the real Jesus when you're either offended or you fall at your feet and worship because you recognize him for who he is. There are times I feel offended by God's word because Jesus calls me to life and blessing, but I want to be the one to decide how I get there. And I want to decide the terms. And it doesn't work that way. And so the religious leaders have not only crossed the line from being offended by Jesus, now they're determined to shut him up. The crowd is following, by and large, the religious leaders. Anyone but Jesus, it seems. And they have this herd mentality that is so easy for us to fall into. Well, what do you think? Who do you say Jesus is? What, what, what does this person think about Jesus? Well, what does Jesus himself say? What is what does God's word say about Jesus? How does God's word define the truth for us? Define who Jesus is? But we have all these religions that want Jesus to be a part of their religion. He's the only major world religious figure, by the way, who's in every major world religion. And we have all these voices in our culture that are trying to tell us this is who Jesus is. Are we going to go along with the crowd with that? Or are we going to go to God's word? And let God himself tell us who he really is. And then we have Pilate. Talk about a complicated figure. He is caught in a no-win place in many ways. He has to keep the peace. He's trying to placate the Jewish leadership, but he knows that in front of him is an innocent man. And he is face-to-face -face with the Son of God, and he does not recognize him. There's some struggle there, but then and he makes his decision and he sentences Jesus to death. Pilate strikes me as this jaded, calloused person who cannot hear the truth, will not hear the truth. And so he condemns Jesus and he condemns himself. And he misses the grace of God because he doesn't recognize the face of God standing right in front of him. Which brings us to Barabbas. Just two sentences of mention there. But Jesus is condemned and Barabbas goes free. I've always wondered, what's, what's the backstory there? How, how could that have worked out? And, and, and why is Barabbas in this story anyway? Who does he represent? 
what, what, what does that mean to me? Well, I'd like us to watch a video now that really begins to unpack this. Some of you may have seen this before, but it's a powerful look at why Barabbas is in this story and what it means for you and me. So let's watch this together. We see the story of Jesus going to the cross and everything seems to kind of be hand in hand. And then there's this one character that seems to interrupt the narrative. His name's Barabbas. We don't even know much about him except that he's a murderer, a leader of an insurrection, a rebel. And why he's even mentioned, sometimes I'm not so sure. It's like, what? Let's, this is about Jesus going to the cross. So in this moment, Pilate thinks, I hold the destinies of these two men in my hand. I know the Jews have a tradition that on a holy day, I will release one of the prisoners on death row. Pilate stands on this audacious stage who now presents Jesus, son of the living God, versus Barabbas, the thug and rebel. He says, all right, who do you want? This is blasphemy. This is, this has gone too far. There's no comparison. This is a rightful prisoner, a man who should be on death row. He's a rebel against Rome. He leads a rebellion. He murders people. He's a bad man. He's a thug and he's a crook. He deserves the chains and he deserves the crucifixion. Jesus, what has he done but heal, restore, deliver, set free, open blind eyes, open deaf ears, heal the lame and the leper. What, what has Jesus done? Who do you want? We, we want Barabbas. Yeah. Give us Barabbas. The Roman soldiers come up and they put the key in and they unlock Barabbas from his chains and shackles and he walks down the platform, welcomed by all of his thug friends. Yeah, the people love me. Yeah, that's right. I don't even know who this Jesus guy is, but all I know is my people love me. There seems to be no conscience of Barabbas. There's no record of him turning to Jesus and saying, I owe you everything now, for you have set me free. No, I don't see any of that in Barabbas. And God knew that. Jesus stood there, silent, for he knew the will of the Father. He said, it's fine, Father. Let him have Barabbas. For Jesus knew that the Father would have to treat Jesus like Barabbas so he could treat Barabbas like Jesus. Barabbas thought it was the people that set him free. No, 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 no. It was the love of the Heavenly Father. Yeah, but I love Barabbas. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sent his son for Barabbas, even the one he knew would walk away from Jesus and his free gift and never come back. He loves them. And the nerve, the call, and the audacity of believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I'm going to work hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are you held under the power of this temptation, this sin? Do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do? I'm going to shake myself free. Stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell and the urges of sin. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. You'll just be another statistic. There's no answer within yourself. Your own marriage, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion will not save your marriage and will not save your kids. There's only one. And he's the one that took your place. He's the one that stood silently on the platform with Pilate and said, yes, let him have Barabbas. Take me. How many times have I stood on that platform with Pilate and Jesus and I'm the Barabbas and they start to take my chains off and I say, no, no, I deserve this. I deserve the guilt. I deserve the shame. I deserve the consequence. I deserve it. Jesus seems to look at me and say, no, son, let me have it. Let me have your sin. Let me have your pain. No, God, I did it to myself. I deserve it. My marriage won't make it. This is what I deserve. I deserve divorce. I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve it all. No. God, I say, I'm so ashamed. Give me your shame. But God, what if I do it again? I'll still be here. God, I don't want to hurt you. I love you. I, I don't want to do this anymore. Give me your sins, son. This is all we got. It's all I got. It's all you got. We can play games. We can play church games. We can pretend like some people are better than others, and that's why they're blessed. Or we can all come to the honest conclusion that it's God. And it's God alone. The greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel. Could it be that there's a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast, so high, so expansive, so welcoming, so inclusive? Let me have your sin, son. Okay. And I give him my sin. And I stand in this empty space of forgiveness and acceptance while Jesus walks off to the cross that I deserve. I see him. I see him walking to the post to be whipped. As I stand a free man, all the attention is turned now. 
thinking that we were gonna set ourselves free. It's still Jesus. It'll always be Jesus. It'll never stop being the power of Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, his blood is sufficient to sustain you through every challenge and every sin and every temptation. Jesus is enough. invite our worship team to come up and I'm going to ask for our elders and staff to step out to the sides. How are you going to respond to this this morning? You know, the answer to those questions we were wrestling with was, who's Barabbas? He's you. And he's, and he's me. It is by grace we have been saved through faith and this not from ourselves. It is a gift of God. So, so have you made that your own? Like Eric, like we heard from Eric's story, has there been a defining moment where you've received Jesus into your life? You can go to church your whole life and not know Jesus. You can know about him, but not know him. John 1.12 says, yet to all those who received him, for those who chose to believe in his name, he gave you the right to become children of God. Exercise your right this morning to know him. I'm gonna ask all of you to stand, if you would, with me. For some of you, the next step in your spiritual journey is to get baptized. You heard Pastor Jerry talking about that. We're going to do that next Sunday. We would love to baptize you. Just, just let one of us know. For some of you, it's remembering your true identity in Jesus. You know, one of the great things that I love about being in community together is every Sunday we reestablish our true identity as sons and daughters of the King. Because we lose sight of that. We forget and all of us, myself included, have those things we need to repent of. Repentance is an ongoing process. I put my faith and trust too much into things that only should be going into Jesus. So as you search your heart this morning, is there, is there a realization from the Holy Spirit that, you know what, if I'm honest with myself, right now I'm living for this instead of living for him, or I'm putting too much emphasis on that, or I'm expecting too much from that relationship, or... What does that repentance process look like for you? Some of you have your eyes, your hearts, your minds, your hands, and things that you know is not what God wants for you. This morning can be your defining moment to walk away from that and to experience the blessing that he promises to each one of you. And so my friends, whatever this looks like for you this morning, including those of you online, those of you who are listening or watching later, what does it mean for you to respond to the gospel this morning. Don't let this time go by without doing that. Please come, let one of us pray with you, pray with you, but respond to the Lord this morning. Let's do that now. He is faithful. I hope you believe what you just sang. He's faithful then and he is, he is faithful now. And something that I'm so grateful for as a community, as a church family is of all places, this is the place where you never have to pretend. 
or put on a show or pretend things are better than they are. Every single one of us, myself included, are in process. And so we want to encourage you, if there's anything we could be praying for you about, please come talk to one of us or pray for one another because God's word is true. And it declares this in 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And it's that same life through his spirit he offers to each one of us. So please, please take hold of that and make that your own. And if you're a guest with us this morning, welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. We'd love to meet you and connect with you right around the corner in our cafe is something called Next Steps. We'd love to have one of our folks get to meet you, buy you a coffee and just spend some time with you. But thank you. Thank you for being here. And let me pray God's blessing over each one of you. Lord, I thank you for these words. And some of these words are, are hard to hear. And yet, Lord, they are words of hope because you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and you offer us life now and life eternally. Lord, would we not lose sight of what you promise us? Would we remember who you are and who we are? And as we walk out of here, would we remember our identity in you? Thank you, Lord, that you love us, that you've sacrificed yourself for us, and that you give us life. May we live that life now through the power of your Holy Spirit. And God's people said, amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.